0: There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal.
1: Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover-to-Cover Series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments.
0: Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that though the uh, structure of the morning may have started off a little bit different, that Lord, nothing changes for us at this moment, that we would come to you with open hearts, open minds, Lord, that you would remove all distractions, that we could experience you through your word, by your spirit, and ultimately to become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So as we were looking through last week, uh, chapter seven, uh, and even Finishing in chapter 6, we noticed a few things about that coming battle. And when we started off in chapter 6, it mentioned that the Spirit of the Lord had come upon Gideon. And then he blew the trumpet and the Abuserites gathered behind him. And again, when we, when we looked at that language, that coming upon was this word of, of clothing. And though we see uh, many times in modern culture, in different forms of media, that there's, there's these counterfeits. And I, and I want you guys to be aware of this. You'll see this throughout. And it's nothing different than even goes all the way back to the days of Egypt, where you would see the culture that they would attribute to their gods uh, attributes of Yahweh, the one almighty, most holy one. And in these counterfeits, it actually becomes something that you start to recognize that there's a truth there. Right Again, as you look at like a, a counterfeit dollar bill, if you saw a bunch of different counterfeits that should bring something, if you had no concept of the idea of the dollar bill but there's all these concepts or there's all these counterfeits, at some point there'd have to be, well, this would at least tell me that though these may be counterfeit, that there is a truth, there is a reality by which these things are based off of. And so when we see these various counterfeits of the culture where uh, these rebellious spirits want to take on titles and qualities and, and even really glory that belongs to God himself is it lets us know to the reality of what he has declared for us, such as in Isaiah chapter sixty one ten, where it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks herself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And then as we looked into chapter 7, we saw that the Lord starts off saying, Gideon, as he looks out, and it's 32,000 versus 135,000. And we see this this difference in numbers. And you would think that God's encouragement would be, I'm going to send you more troops. Don't worry about it. I've got you. And in fact, we, we read the exact opposite, that the Lord said that the people are too many. For me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And again, we see this, again, consistent with what we're told in the New Testament, when we see the pattern of God's nature over and over, where it says, But God has chosen the things which the world says are foolish and weak, despised. And base of no value, and God says that He chose those things so that no flesh should glory in His presence. But on Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so, knowing the propensity of our flesh, and knowing our 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 nature, which is to want to go after His throne, which is to say, I want to define what is right and wrong. I want to be the one who is uh, Lord of my life. And and as we seek to take that, it it is, as Billy Graham would say, we are never more like the devil than we reach to touch the glory of God. And when we reach to take that for ourselves and God knowing that says, we've got an issue here because even at a three to one ratio, you winning this battle is going to end up saying that somehow you were able to strategize and overcome. And in fact, again, we see historical reason for that. There are many times where you would see uh, uh, an army that was outnumbered come to victory. And God says, I want you to understand that it's not going to be by your sword, by your cunning, by that, but it is by his hand that this victory is going to come. And so what we, we read last week is God takes them through this process where he takes them from 32,000 versus 135,000 down to three hundred. Versus 135,000. That becomes a 1 to 450 ratio. That is, and so God drives it all the way down to this place. But again, remember with the promise saying, because I am going to bring you victory. But I want this to be clear. I want this to be done in such a way that you understand that it is not by your might, not by your strength, but by his spirit. And so putting them in that spot says that then they, they took that 300, they broke into three companies and they surrounded the camp of the Midianites and the Amalekites and that they held uh, torches and pots and trumpets in their hands and they smashed the pots in the ground, releasing the embers. They blew the trumpets and they cried out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And it says, and every man stood in his place all around the camp. The whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And again, in this moment where you go, not only did God take them to 300, which then he broke them into groups of 100, three groups around, then they weren't even carrying swords. They had trumpets and pitchers. And you go into all of this going, this makes no battle sense whatsoever, but as they smash those pots and blow those trumpets, that it freaks out the men in the camp. And again, if you guys have ever been in that situation, in fact, it's so funny that I was telling you guys a story, again, about how my family loves to scare Uh, if you you missed that last week. Well, again, starting off uh, last night, my my daughter, learning well, uh, went to do one of those scares, and thank God that hand got pulled back quick enough because she got tapped just on her cheek. And Dad, why did you do that? I was going, well, you got to be careful. You do the jump scare. Sometimes that hand goes flying. Thankfully, my brain was able to calculate that is your daughter pull hand back. And so she just got got a, a little... A little bit of flick on her, on her cheek. But point being is if you guys have ever had that happen or if you guys watch those videos, some of my favorites when like, people jump out of trash cans to scare and the guy ends up just decking them and they drop back into the trash can is you understand that sometimes jump scares can go wrong. Well, here that was the intended purpose that as they smash the pots and blow the trumpets, the men come running out of the camp and they're so afraid that they start stabbing each other and then that creates more fear. And it says that basically they just start slaughtering each other. They just start wiping each other out. And then enough guys go, we got to get out of here. And they go and, and, they, and they run away. And it says here, as we saw these, these things take place, is you got to kind of go back a little bit to chapter three, why God said he even left the enemies in the land. Then in chapter three, God says that because you disobeyed me and did not fully karam the land, I'm going to leave the people in there that Joshua didn't take out. And he said, for this reason, the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. And so God's saying, I'm leaving them in there because there's going to be wars and battles to come and you need to learn the way of the war of the Lord, not of what you think. And when you think back to that, it thinks back to, think back to Jericho, this great battle plan. What was the battle plan? March around the city and then blow trumpets. Ooh, great strategy. And again, Go for it. I don't care how good your lungs are. You go blow some trumpets out a wall and see if they come down for you. When we looked at the battle of Ai, where God takes a failure and flips it around, and when the enemy thinks that they're, they're on the run, that then he ends up using what was once a failure into victory. When we look at the, the battle at the Valley of Agilon, Whereas the enemy is is running away, God is perfectly sending hailstones, not hitting any of the Israelites, and starts hitting all the enemy around them as they're running. And again, what were they supposed to learn through that is going through when Cut says, this is not the warfare of man, but this is God saying, it's by my hand, and I need to make this clear to you, that he says, I'm the one who will go before you. I'm the one who will fight your battles for you. I will be your shield. I will be your reward. And for us today to to look at these examples and to be reminded as we've been told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And it says then that the, the army fled to Beth-Arcashia towards Zerah as far as the border of Abel-Moholah by Tabith. And then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth-Bara in the Jordan. And so what happens is we saw at the end of there of chapter 7 is not only do they go on the run, but then they blow another trumpet as if to signal those men that they had whittled out. The men that they had sent away; that basically they're calling them back into arms, and we're going to see that's going to go not even just to those men that were initially part of the land, that family that were, had gathered around him, but it's going to actually go out even to other areas of Israel, because that's where we see here in the next, just before at the end of seven, it says, "Then all the men of Ephraim, Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara." And the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, named for the place he got killed. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb, named as the place where he got killed. They pursued Midian and brought the heads, yes, heads, nobody, of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. And so, What happens at the end of chapter 7 is that this this battle of the camp has taken place. They start killing each other. They're on the run. Gideon is summoning everyone back, saying all those guys who who didn't get to partake in that, that God said, hey, I'm not using you for this, this victorious moment. But now that the enemy is on the run, it is the gathering call. That call makes it out to the land of Ephraim, and Ephraim uh, ends up taking out two of the princes of these guys, uh, whose name, Ora, means raven, and and Zeb means wolf. So they they take out the raven and the wolf, and they cut off their heads, and then they bring them to Gideon. And with that, chapter 8 says Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us? By not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites. And they reprimanded them sharply. So if you guys can see, so Ephraim takes out these two princes, brings the heads, and then they kind of go, what's the deal? Why didn't you call us? Why didn't you involve us in this battle? And what we find here is already, so Gideon has had victory, right? God brought victory. And right after victory, contention and problems. And again, this moment where, this is is like, uh, you know, sports fans probably experience this the most. Well, you'll have a team that you've been rooting for, rooting for year after year as they do horrible. And then they start to make a championship and then somehow everybody is on board with that. Everybody is, is kind of like that bandwagon fan. This is kind of like one of these bandwagon victor moments where they're going, well, now that they see the victor, they're going, why didn't you call us? We could have been a part of this. We could have helped you. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. So where pride is, that's where contention shows up. Because to, to stop and, and even recognize, why did Gideon do what he did? Did Gideon sit there and go, you know, it'd be an awesome strategy. I'm going to take a three to four to one ratio, and I'm going to whittle that down to a 450 to one. And that way, when we win, I'll be looked at some great general who may, no, this was God's, choice. This was God telling him step by step, this is what I want you to do. I want you to fight this war so that it looks like the wars that came before you so that you guys unequivocally understand it's not by your might. It's not by your strength. It's not by your cunning. It is by obedience to follow after the Lord who says he will fight that battle for you. What's interesting with Ephraim is you're going to see this same attitude come up in chapter 12. It goes a little bit different for him that time. But in Judges chapter 12, we see Ephraim do the same sort of thing where one of the judges brings victory and they start kind of talking at him this way. 1 Peter chapter 5 gives us this caution. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That again, forgetting, going, this was God's choice. This victory was won by him. And this just, again, this, this is something for each of you guys just to consider is as God brings spiritual victory in your life, be ready for these battles. People who want to bring contention by pride, they'll see the victory that the, the Lord is bringing in your life, and you're going to face these types of things. The funny thing is, is that we, we, we never really think about this kind of side of things, but we're, we're constantly, at least if you're wanting to have spiritual progress, understand that there is no spiritual progress without spiritual conflict. And so growing in the Lord will bring this. But as we cry out to God, it's funny, because we'll say things like, Lord, refine me, strengthen me. And then we go, ow, that hammer hurts and the fire's too hot. It's, this is that process by which God goes, I am going to refine. And even in victory, you'll see that contention arises when pride and the way it looks should remind us to again, humble ourselves. How does Gideon respond? He says, so he said to them, What have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abezer? God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then the anger toward him subsided when he said that. Proverbs also gives us this reminder that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So again, as, as Ephraim gets all huffy and, why didn't you call us? You should have called us. We should be a part of this. And, and, and Gideon goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys just captured these two princes. And in fact, don't you guys come from a land where, where the grapes are just abundant? You, you come from this land of, of abundant growth and. Uh, <laughs> you guys have already captured princes? He says, I'm just little old muffin man on a roll. I haven't even captured the guys. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm still on the run here. And he says, once that he used that soft to go, look, you guys are blessed to be in a blessed land compared to where I come from. You guys have already captured princes. I'm still running after the guys who took off. It says, on that run, in verse four, when Gideon came to the Lord, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, still in pursuit. And right there, it just want to stop for a moment in that this is going to happen in ministry. And every single one of you, by the way, who are called by his name, if you've placed your faith in Christ and he is the banner of your life, you have ministry. Each and every one of you, whether it's in your homes, whether it's in your classrooms, whether it's on your sports teams, whether it's in your clubs, wherever it would be that he has placed you, you have a ministry. And what he calls us to is to know there are moments that you're going to face exhaustion. There's going to be moments where you guys are tired, but what we see in this moment is, is these are the guys who, again, remember how God whittled it down. There was something distinct about how these men drank from the water that made them stand out, these 300 from the others and those who drank properly from the water are now in a place where they've been running after the enemy they're doing the ministry and they're exhausted but still in pursuit exhausted in the ministry but not from it these guys are exhausted in the battle but not from the battle and so they are still in pursuit it says, then he said to them in a succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Ziba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And so now what we're going to find out by the time you get to the end is that there's about 15,000 of these men who are on the run. And this is the 300. The 300 running after the 15,000. And again, they're exhausted, but still in pursuit. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as I said that, Jesus calls us to this this ministry, this work, but he says it's not supposed to be a burden. It's not to be be burdened of the ministry, burdened of the battle. In fact, he's saying, no, no, there's going to be work in it and there might be time, but he says you can come to him and know rest. You want to know rest, and satisfaction for your soul that only comes by being obedient to do the work in ministry God has called you to but now understand this and this is something that so many times we as believers can get caught up in and I don't say this and I want you guys to all understand the immense value God has placed on your life you are not random you are not meaningless You were loved by a God who loved you so much that he gave up his son setting the value, the payment that was paid for your life was that of his son, Jesus Christ. That is how much he values you. And I want you to understand, he didn't do that to get something out of you. He doesn't need you for ministry. He wants to have a relationship with you. God is not wanting you to do ministry. He wants to do ministry in you. And as he does that ministry in you by the relationship, the outpouring of that will be this thing that we call the church as we come together and we workshop this stuff, as we go and take that out into the world to say, we're just being extensions of the ministry that he's doing in us. And that outpouring is the ministry, once again, not by our strength, not by our might, not by our cunning, not because we've memorized verses, not because we do a bunch of good things for him, By His relationship, He is conforming us into the image of His Son, transforming us by the renewing of our mind to reflect Him. And that work He's doing in us will come pouring out of us to make us torrents of living water. In Philippians, Paul would say, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. So understanding that he's saying, step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, that he has said he has promised to do that work in you and he will see it into completion until the day he comes to take us home. It says, and the leaders of Succoth said, so Gideon gets there and he gets to fellow Israelites and says, hey, I'm running after these kings. My guys are tired, they're exhausted, can we get some bread and water? And they respond him, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your hand that we should give you your bread? Basically, the response is, where are the kings? We don't see victory. So he's asking for food and they're going, well, no kings, no bread. How do we know that you're even going to win this battle? You could lose and these guys come right back and kill us. Interesting to note that these, these same people, when Barak and Deborah were having their battle, yeah, this is one of the tribes that didn't send people to fight in that one either. So we have a tribe that has a tendency to be like, eh, we'll just kind of sit on the sideline." And it it almost begs the question of, of again, just what side are you guys on? Who are you for? What are you living your life for? Verse 7, so Gideon said, this time not such a soft word. For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmun into my hand, I will tear your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Uh, Well, you want to see the kings? When I come back with the kings, I'm going to hog tie you behind some of these camels and horses and we're going to drag you through the desert and just let the briars rip your skin off. A little intense. Moving on to the next city. Verse 8. Then he went to there to Panuel, and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Panuel answered him as in the men of Succoth answer. So he runs to these people and the name of Penuel means tower. So he runs to the next city and these guys have, have their towers. These are the guys, uh, you know, the, the self-righteous looking down on high and as they come down to the men of the tower and say, hey, can you guys help us? They go, what's this have to do with us? That's your responsibility. I can't help but think of both Succoth and even, maybe even more so, Penuel is that moment in Peter Parker's life when a man goes running by him and he's like, stop, stop, thief. And he says, well, what's that to do with me? And he lets him go. And again, right, the tragic history is to realize that that guy's going to go on and kill his uncle and he gets to learn that amazing lesson with great power comes great responsibility. But in this moment, this moment of, of, of apathy, of thinking, I could, but you know what? I don't want to get messed up in this. This is somebody else's business, somebody else's responsibility. Um, Yes, I enjoy my comic books, but I also enjoy uh, watching my musicals with my daughters. Sound of Music is on a constant replay throughout our house, and there's a moment in that that stands out to me more and more these days. It's where one of the characters, uh, his name is Max, and when they're recognizing the flow of the culture, he makes a comment To the captain, And he says, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Just make sure it doesn't happen to you. And that captain flips around and says, don't you ever say that again. And then he asks the question, you know, sometimes I wonder, whose side are you on? And there's this moment of thinking that we can have this apathetic attitude towards the culture and and towards the things that are going on in our life and say, you know what? Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Just make sure it doesn't happen to me. We want to step aside, and in fact, even looking back to uh, Deborah and Barack, is, is really, we heard in, as, as Deborah had her song, there's this curse of mirage. The founding fathers of America w- would come to, to imply, and really to take from that, this idea that what that curse was, is, it's a curse out of apathy. Of people that think that you can just stand on the sidelines and go, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, I'll just look after for me and mine. Not recognizing that the one that you let go is about to take out your family. Not recognizing again that as you step aside and let the wave of tyranny wave over over a culture that the next place it turns is to you. Again, a a fun line in the first Captain America, the first Avengers, when uh, the, the doctor's looking at Steve and he says, you know, so many forget that the first place that the Nazis took over was their own land. And how many in apathy said, oh, I know what they're doing to the Jews, but whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'll just make sure it doesn't happen to me and mine until that enemy turns its head on. And by then it's too late. In fact, God would call out in Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Amorites and and the uh, Moabites. And he says that they're not even going to be allowed to be part of the family for 10 generations because when you guys were coming up out of Egypt, you didn't give food or water and you hired Balaam to be a curse. This curse of inhospitality, of being so self-concerned with your own well-being that you turn your eye to your brothers and sisters. Guys, again, as we talk about the weapons of our warfare is to also understand the battle that we're in. We are not in battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the enemies of this dark world, and we have been equipped with this armor and with these tools to tear down strongholds, to set the captives free, to understand that the people to our left and our right who are blinded by darkness, they're not your enemy, but we have been sent on a rescue mission and to step aside and to say, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, just as long as it doesn't happen to me and mine. thats the attitude of Succoth, the Penuel, the Ammonites of Moabites, and the truth is that it always comes back in its self defeating, to look at those that we were sent to rescue and to turn a blind eye. I've mentioned this before. There's a, a magician, rabid atheist, rabid atheist. He, I mean, argues all the time. But um, and this is this is a quote that goes way back, but it, it has stuck with me since I read it. And I'll be honest, I read it first before I watched it and scoured so I could find it and. He was in an interview and he was talking about believers. So somebody who is an atheist, doesn't believe, in fact, would argue against it. One of his arguments was, it said, he says, I look at Christians who say they believe and know and have the way to life eternal happiness. And if you're not out there, proselytizing, evangelizing, if you're not telling people about this way that you know, the question he asks is, how much do you have to hate that person? To recognize, to be apathetic, it is to place a curse on those around, to say, I mean, be warm and well-fed, but you might go to hell. What's that to do with me? This is the attitude that the Lord is wanting to drive out of us. This is that work, that ministry that he wants to do in us so that what comes out of us, he wants to fill you with joy and peace so that what overflows from your life is hope for the world around us because they desperately, they need it. Verse 9, so he also spoke to Penuel, saying, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeb and Zalmu were at Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000 so is where he got the number, and all who were left of the army of the people of the east was 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. So out of the 120, 15,000 remained. Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell in the tents of the east of Noba at Jagbirah. And he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. And the reason why is Karkor is, is way east of the Dead Sea. It's way east. So so what's happened is, I'll just tell you, guys, people try and figure out g- geographically where these guys have been running. It's sort of like if you guys ever watched Scooby-Doo when you see them going back and forth through the doors. Trying to follow the geography of these guys' runs, it was like Scooby-Doo geography. Because it's kind of like, wait, where are they going? And then eventually you see... And so these guys think that they have done the sneaky sneak. They think they've got to the door and they're way on the other side. And so they get to the other side of the dead sea and they're like, oh, we're good. And just when they stopped, then Gideon, the 300, come in and they get them. When Zeba and Zalmuma fled, they pursued them. And he took the two kings of Midian and Zebah and Zumuna, and routed the whole army. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Heres. And he caught a young man with the men of Succoth and interrogate him and wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and the elders, 77 men. So what happens is they're on their way back. Remember, Succoth said, what's that to do with us? You don't have the kings in hand. They're on their way back and they see a young guy from Succoth and they go, we want to know the names of the leaders who said that. We want to know and hold responsible those who made the choice not to be hospitable. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, "Here." Here are Ziba and Zalmunna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give you bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city and the thorns of the wilderness in briars. I love this language. And with them he taught the men of Succoth. Oh, I think they got the point. That lesson was learned. But I also want you guys to catch who was held responsible as they head to Succoth, is this is a consistent nature of God. The ones who were held accountable were the ones who were responsible. So they kept the, catch them and they said, we want to know the names of the leaders responsible. So God's not just going in there, smashing these people. It's like, we want to hold accountable. And you're going to see that consistent with God's nature over and over. It says, and then he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And he said to Ziba and Zalmunna, What kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And so there's this moment, right? So he's coming to Succoth and has taught the men with thorns. Then he comes to Penul, tears down the tower, again, killing those who are responsible. And then he turns to the two kings he caught. So after them seeing how he disciplined the children of Israel, he turns to his enemy and says, I want you to describe to me the men you killed at Tabor. And these guys, I don't know what they were thinking. So they answered, as you are, so were they. Each one resembling uh, the son of a king. So I don't know if they're trying flattery. I don't know what they were going for. But he asked, so what did the men look like? They they looked like, well, just like you. And Gideon's response was, "Uh, they were my brother's. The sons of my mother, as the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. So these guys trying to flatter Gideon going, so you guys were the ones who killed my brothers at Tabor. And now imagine what's going through these guys' minds as they just witnessed what Gideon did to discipline the children of Israel. He looked at his enemy and said, so who did you guys take out? Oh, They looked a lot like you. Yeah, that's because they were my, my brother. If you hadn't killed him, I might have let you go. But as it is now, it says, he said to Jether, his firstborn, Arise, kill them. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. Now what Gideon's doing here is, this is one of those adding insult to injury. Gideon's song is, is, is a young guy, as implied here by the language. And so Gideon's doing two things. To get killed by a little boy would have been like insult to injury. It would have been like, yeah, not only did they die, the little boy got him. Not only that, but Gideon's son being young, he would have been given the title of killer of these kings. So Gideon is trying to give his son some l- little bit of like legendary notoriety while also insulting these kings. It says, but Jether, his firstborn, would not kill them because he was still a youth. And they said, so Ziba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So these guys, uh, again, I, can, I believe there's two things going on. One, they don't want the insult. They don't want the insult to being killed, so, so they invoke a, a man's flesh, and they say, if you're a man, do it yourself. They also probably recognize something. Swords, not the sharpiest of sharp back then, and a little boy who's afraid to use it might do a little bit of, Ugh! could you imagine having to get multiple stabbed by a little boy who's, Ugh! Ugh! how not only that, so this twofold: it is, we don't want to be insulted, and going, uh, we'd like this to be swift. So if we could not be pricked to death by a little boy, that would be much better. So they invoke Gideon to do it himself. So Gideon rose and killed Ziba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on the camel's neck. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for we have, you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Now this is one of the funniest things you could have asked. Or you could see it going here. So they're now giving Gideon the credit for taking these guys out. You mean the general who whittled his army from 32,000 down to 300? That guy? The guy who didn't attack an army with swords but with pots and trumpet? That's the guy you want from a strategic military standpoint to be king. The irony here is this would be like somebody who underwent surgery. And then returning to the hospital and going can I see the scalpel that was used? That scalpel is just such a mighty scalpel. Nobody does that. You would say, can I say thank you to the surgeon? So here is God, the surgeon, who used the scalpel to remove the cancer, and somebody comes along and says, that's an awesome scalpel. Can I just see the scalpel? Now, like so many times, we can find ourselves going wanting to take that praise as the scalpel ourselves. But Gideon here says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Way to go, Gideon. But we're not done. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, to each of you, that you would give me the earrings from his plunder, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Now, just real quick for my note takers, this is not the family line of Ishmael. Uh, Ishmaelite is also used for nomads. So you could get kind of confused here trying to draw lines. This was just a phrase used of (coughs) the nomads at that time. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into his earrings from the plunder. Now, the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which are on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains there were around the camels' necks. And then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. And so as we, we're going to kind of stop right there for the morning, is to see something that happens in this moment is Gideon giving God the credit of the victory but then wanted to take a reward. See, there's two parts. When, when Abraham had his great victory against the giant kings thousands of years earlier, he got himself in a fearful place and the Lord said to him, be not afraid. I will be your shield and your great reward. And Gideon got half of that But then he sought, though he gave the victory credit to God, he sought a worldly reward. And what we see from that is that reward would end up being more dangerous than any sort of the enemy. Would once again kick off a sin cycle that by the time you get to the end of this chapter, it will be the last time as we've gone through the sin cycle and heard about the time of peace, you will never hear about another period of peace after a judge that what Gideon allows to happen is the worship and seeking of the reward from the enemy becomes a greater downfall than any sword that they had. Exodus, God would give this reminder, this warning. Take heed for yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. Lest it be a snare in your midst. You destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molding gods for yourself. Knowing our heart, he's saying the warning is not just to worry about their sword, but actually more, what would always kick off the sin cycle is to forget the Lord and to enter into the worship of these false gods. That's why as we begin completely in this morning, we're going to end with First Peter chapter eighteen, nineteen. For this reminder, the Lord is your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And 1 Peter 1.18 reminds us, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Be weary of the curse of apathy that we heap on others to think that we can live our lives in such a way where in selfish apathy We leave those to a curse. How much, how hateful is that? To recognize that in victory, you're gonna find contention against pride and would that be something that we let burn out of ourselves to let him hammer and burn away? Because the danger is so much worse than the sword that the enemy can do. But to fall into their worship is a much greater, greater danger. Guys, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are and who you've made us to be. And Father, I just pray for um, anyone this morning. God, who's feeling lost to the enemy, where they recognize that you are the one who wins battles with these clay pots that have the light inside. Lord, how appropriate that you use us, your broken earthly vessels, Lord, would we be smashed, fall upon you, broken to pieces that your light may shine. And Father, I just, I pray that we recognize that we are not in a battle against your image bearers, but on a rescue mission. And it's not by our might or our strength or our cunning and how freeing that is, but it is by obedience to you that you rescue and save lives. Let us not be in apathy to the mission that you have called us. To not trust in our abilities, but to trust in your word, with, which will not return void. In your son's name, amen.
1: The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in the Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C I K K zero. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.